everybody. Welcome to Cloud of Compass Podcast. This is Lori Smith, your host. You want to know more about me? Do you want to work with me? Do you like what I have to say? Um, do you want to write me hate mail? Check me out on social media. I'm at Cloud of Compass 2021 on TikTok and Cloud of Compass 2021 on Instagram. I started this podcast because I wanted to share my knowledge, skills, and experience as an LMSW of 20 years. I am a survivor of help that harmed. I have had mental health issues. My ACEs score is high. I've had a history of trauma, but I also have some professional skills, knowledge, and experience that you might benefit from. I have been a certified diabetes educator for 10 years. I have worked in um, doctor's offices as a care manager with chronic health issues. I am certified. um, I'm a certified anxiety treatment provider, certified um, trauma provider. Provider, certified in compassion fatigue, addiction-informed mental health, and most recently a human rights consultant. I am the author of the book Life Hacks with Life Hacks, Tips and Tricks for Accessing Your Inner Resilience. I am the owner of Resilience Coach, which is an outpatient behavioral health therapy. And most recently, I am the owner of Cloud of Compass Coaching Consulting, um, which is part of this podcast. I have courses in um, recovery-oriented material, uh, neurodivergent um, information coming in. So I have courses, I have webinars, I have um, guests on my podcast, I have merchandise coming out soon. I have a link tree on my social media where you can access all of these things. I'd love for you to learn more about me. Love to you to for you to see if we are a good fit for working together. And in the month of December, I am hosting a half-off special of my of my signature course um, because I want to share this information with the world. It is a six-week course with 12 sessions, um, 12 videos of me. Um, again, I'm a little neurodivergent, so it's a little, um, it's not what you're going to expect from a course on transformation, but it is useful information. It is what I have found practical in my practice. It has the 12 video sessions, but it also has 200 page workbook of tools for self-regulation. And we teach how to uncover your own innate skill set. This is why I called my company Clouded Compass, because there are things that we have not been pointed towards. And once we align with our internal assets, our life becomes um, a little bit uh, uh, um, we become empowered, period. So check me out. Check me out on all my social media. Please leave comments. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear you, um, see you join my course. And please leave comments about the podcast too. I'd love to know what your favorite um, podcasts are, which ones you think really suck. And let's build community together. Let's educate, empower, and evolve. And let's uncover your own innate assets. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, this is Lori. Welcome back to Clouded, Clouded Compass Podcast. I am here today with Dr. Simmons. I am so excited to have her on. Um, I will invite you to introduce yourself because I'm excited you are in so many different areas. Um, let's get started. How would you like to introduce yourself? Well, great morning, everyone. This is Dr. Simmons. I'm the Executive Director of the Collective Wellness Institute here in the Tampa Bay area. We serve Tampa Bay and Florida because I'm also licensed in Florida. I am a compassion fatigue trainer, but most important, I'm a change agent. And I see myself as responsible for helping those in my community to disrupt the dysfunction in their lives. And so I'm looking forward to chatting with you all. 
Oh my gosh, we have so much in common. Okay, so tell me what it, what it means to be a change agent in Tampa Bay area in Florida in 2024, because this is like, I, I was telling um, Dr. Simmons before we got on that, like, I just had to take a big whoosh to, to consider what therapy practice in Florida in 2024 looks like. So what does it mean for you to be a change agent in that area today? Wow. It means, it means a lot of things. Um, it means to be flexible for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what the, what I anticipated uh, the landscape to look like when I first started in sheesh, 16 um, is incredibly different. No one anticipated a pandemic. I've not stopped working since then. Um, and it really requires first and foremost, um, a pulse of one's own wellness mm -hmm. um, in order to see clearly uh, the wellness of others. Uh, and so I have had to really come to terms with a lot of things because I'm not native to Florida. Okay. I've had to I've had to come to terms with the fact that I don't understand the climate as well as maybe I would like to. Um, the the reality that when I became a practice owner, I was a really good clinician. I was not an amazing um, business owner. And I can really so, do that. so that was another realization, but that the needs of this region, uh, primarily the needs of this region are incredibly diverse. Mm -hmm. um, and yet while they're diverse, there is an, you know, an underlying commonality of discomfort pain, yes. human suffering is absolutely <sighs> universal. And recognizing that requires intentionality. Um, it really does. It's so easy to recognize our differences. We Somehow I think we've, we've been conditioned to identify our differences first. Yeah. Um, and it does a disservice because if you don't recognize that there's some commonality, right? Um, yeah. You can miss an opportunity to, to dispense compassion in a more meaningful way. It's not sympathy and pity, but right. compassion and empathy um, and recognizing the universality of suffering. And so ultimately, that's my long way of answering the question about what it means to be a clinician here. Um, in the Tampa Bay area in practice. Thank you. I can I can relate to a lot of what you say because, um, you know, when I go into my sessions, it is such a sacred place for me um, that I almost don't, I don't need to know the context until we develop this intimacy. But once once we develop this intimacy, all the other sort of identities and masks start to fall away because we are the the common theme is human suffering. It just wears different uniforms. And so I have had to struggle with my own biases, but also what I advocate for outside of my therapy practice isn't necessarily how I'm treating my clients. I mean, I, I hold space for advocating for the things that I care about and, and in direct contrast sometimes to some of my clients' thoughts and beliefs. But when I'm with a one-on-one -on -one client, it is such a sacred journey and honoring to be with somebody as they uncover their own biases and sort of um, 
patterns of living and, and even spirituality you and I've talked to you about before a little bit. Um, so I can relate. Plus I will say that I worked at Disney world for five years in Florida. So, uh, I do never want to live there again. And that was before this era of politics. And I especially don't need to live there again. However, I give you so much kudos for living there. And Tampa Bay uh, is a special place in my heart. So the populations are so diverse there. Um, you've got so many people, not even just from this country, but you've got Floridians, you've got um, sort of Haitians, you've got the Puerto Ricans, you've got Cubans, you've got um, uh, uh, sun, um, what do they call them? The people that come from Mich my state, Michigan down, the sunbirders or whatever. Um, and so like, well, yeah, the sunbirds. So, but what I found interesting when I lived in Florida was learning about the sort of the native history and just like the railroad building, all of that stuff. Like the, what do you find is one of the common themes of suffering that your clients are struggling with throughout your practice and in your area? Um, I think the most common area of suffering may not be commonly seen or understood as such. And that is what I used to do worked and it got me here. Oh, yes. But now I'm not living. This isn't feeling good. I got all the things. But um, I, I'm not feeling good about this. This does not feel good for me anymore. This is not yielding what I want anymore. Um, and so I think that is probably not necessarily recognized commonly as suffering, but it is the pain point that's when we drill it down, that is what I'm recognizing shows up in the office. Yeah, I, I, I see the same. I call it, like, I absolutely see it as a sign of our collective trauma and it, exhaustion and just, like, I'm doing the same thing. Like, I'm, I'm trying, like, and I just can't get a break emotionally, um, which leads me to one of the things that we have in common. I'm certified compassion fatigue. You are as well. So what I... What I find so interesting is that like clinicians like us, we work with with clients every day on these particular issues that we ourselves are struggling with. And there's not a lot of space to talk about them in a sort of a safe way sometimes uh, with our colleagues and peers. Um, I don't know. I, I, there's just a whole thing to unravel there. Do you want to uh, talk about that at all? Yeah, so interestingly enough, um, I, one of the things that I do, uh, one of the roles that I fulfill is serving as a qualified supervisor for individuals who um, are preparing to, for their licensure. Okay. Um, and I see that as a give back, right? I do I do embrace my the role as gatekeeper. I don't apologize for that. Um, and in that process, um, for the industry, because Florida does things a little bit different. I'm not, again, I'm not native to Florida. So it does a little things a little bit differently. When I was preparing for my licensure, I cannot start a private practice. So right. folks are coming straight out of school, no license 
you know, no, no tests completed, no license, and they're starting practices here in Florida. Wow. So um, I do not apologize for my position as a gatekeeper. And in doing so, um, I just want to clarify, they're starting practices without the without supervision hours. They're starting their practices as they're getting their hours for the licensure. That's how they're doing it. They're Yikes. using their private practice to get their hours for license. Oh, Lord have mercy. Okay. Uh -huh. So, um, okay. yeah, it, 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 don't get me started on my soapbox <laughs> about that. And so in an effort to maintain my integrity um, and um, impact the upcoming generation, because I don't plan to do this forever. <laughs> I don't have a I don't have a whole lot more years left, honestly. <laughs> um, I incorporate the things that I'm aware of around what motivates us to get into the field in the first place. Right. Um, around uh, the helper's identity, right? The professional development. Like, why are you doing this, and what are you getting from it, and how well are you taking care of yourself, and my team has changed drastically in size recently because of some of that, because mm. I've had to say, this is not a good time for you. Look at your health. You mm -hmm. Look at this, look at that. And so this conversation around self-care, which has grown somewhat nauseating because it's, mis it's been misused and misdefined. Is a normal. It is a normal. Now I am married to a pastor, and so I do think that a part of our and he co-owns the practice, and he sees folks. He does Christian counseling. I do think a part of our assignment is helping the people who find themselves under our tutelage in striking a healthy work-life balance. Another overused term. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but, we, but we're living it, right? We're living it out in front of people and we're requiring people to have uh, conscious, make conscious decisions. Uh, in our practice, if you work for us, you cannot see more than 25 clients a week. Okay. Um, most of our clinicians who have worked with us have been around the 15 to 10 to 15 hours because they have other positions. Okay. Um, but I'm aware, you know, that there are folks who are in private practice. They will see 30, 40 clients a week. It exceeds best practice standards. And we just model, we, we model what we think is appropriate. And then we hold people accountable to any deviation from that so uh, right before the new year uh, uh one of our interns <laughs> she had like six people on her calendar in one day and I was like you know better than that that like we just monitor things like that uh back to, we monitor how many appointments are back to back we monitor how many appointments you have in a day how many appointments you have in a week we, we monitor mm -hmm. the because we know that it's very easy to be driven by either the dollar or the, I need this many hours yeah. for other purposes and completely miss like 
you're out of balance. Now you got 35, you know, outstanding treatment plans. And yeah. So all of that is influences the conversation around self-care, uh, compassion, satisfaction. You know, we're not talking about that. Um, and compassion fatigue. Um, yeah. Well, I also encourage our team members to only work with the populations they work with well. Yes. We have, you have permission to to say no. I don't want. I don't wish to work with this population. I um, had an interview. A student this morning interviewed me um, and asked about my caseload and. I shared and I shared the populations that I don't work with. And his question was, well, why not? And I said, because I don't choose to. (laughs) Right. I don't choose to. I don't choose based on my own experience with individuals from that population in my life. And it's just not the right fit. Right. Um, And that we don't talk about burnout prevention by way of working well and seeing positive outcomes. Like feeling competent is so instrumental to burnout. But you don't hear people talking about that. You know, that's such a, like, okay, I'm going to just pause there because thank you. There's so many different areas I want to explore with that. But the fact that we feel not competent is a universal suffering in our American culture today, I feel like. And so it's not just us providers, but for some context, you know, my first job out of school was going to um, remote bush villages in Alaska and waiting till I got back to the sort of hub for supervision. Talk about imposter syndrome. Talk about like, and plus this was also somebody else's culture, Native Alaskans. So it was really hit the ground running. But but I will talk about where I'm at now in my sort of own uh, professional realm. A, I have a private practice that I opened as a group practice, but it A, has been really hard to sort of find clinicians who want to work in an environment that is supportive and not necessarily geared towards only the financial outcomes. Now, I mean, I'm, I want that for all of us, but she's shaking her head. Like, so, so as a result, I'm still in private practice in year three, because I have not found a good fit for the populations that I want to serve and the people that I want to work with. And I want to want to work with me. So I, you know, there's that sort of building community within your practice, but also with the compassion fatigue I'm really into the decolonizing therapy right now. In fact, I'm running um, my own book review on it. Dr. Mullen's work is revolutionary for our field, I feel. And I want to honor that because what you're talking about are so many colonial sort of yes. mindsets. And so this this sort of like, you know, I worked as a care manager in a, for a physician's organization for six years. The outcomes were important. I think outcomes are important too, but Mm -hmm. I have different outcomes for my clients. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not a good fit for my client, Mm -hmm. we're not going to get a good outcome. So please, please let me refer you to somebody else who's better suited for you because I know my skill set and I know what I is going to wear my emotional labor down or all of those. So 
Yeah. Everything you're talking about is so juicy in terms of the absolute revolution I see is happening in our fields. Mm-hmm. So compassion fatigue is the sort of the crux that is saying we cannot do this the same way anymore. Right. We have got to start doing something different. So I I don't know if you have any like just it, I'm just going to pause now because there's so much I have thoughts on. Yeah, no, that that's that's good. So even to that point, I, I want to echo that I said before we started that my practice has, has changed the the composition of my practice has changed since um, the images on the site were posted on my website um, and there's it's, it's a couple things as I said I when I started great clinician right great supervisor great mentor not great business owner right like mm-hmm. all the things that go into owning a business that that wasn't in my toolbox. So I had to learn some things over, over time. And that included higher, slow, fire, mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that included that. That included make sure your systems are in place before you start putting people inside. That included, you know, looking for the humble and the hungry. The it, you know, it included those things. And so my husband and I joke sometimes like the people that we attract are really ministry assignments and not, um, you know, not um, our employees. And yet we're running a business and we have to figure out how do we uh, respond with compassion and understanding while not eliminating the expectations um, associated with the standards of our practice. And so we, I, I have grown to be okay with having smaller numbers, not looking at other practices that have strong, much larger numbers than I do, um, and some who have even come uh, started after me, um, and just learning that that comparison is not good for me or anyone else, um, and that this, if we talk about colonials. <laughs> colonialization we, we talk about colonizing um just to be very very frank african americans have not been historically have not been taught how to work together well mm. um there is often a long history of mistrust yeah that unfortunately still shows itself i think it's changing and it's growing but i remember having a conversation with an intern who had been with me for months maybe a semester and a half who still did not trust me Mm -hmm. and she's behind the scenes she sees everything she sees my front facing my back facing my side facing she sees how I'm responding to stress and transition and and still was didn't trust me. And I I said, I get it. it. Trust is earned. I just haven't earned it yet. But to that point, um, I have seen repeatedly where things that I'm making available to community or colleagues, um, the way that I present myself. I don't know that it's always viewed as authentic. 
I'll give you an example. Mm. We have space that we rent and one of the people who was renting space, I forgot that he was coming and his client was asking for him and I totally didn't remember his name. And I'm like, who? Nobody, that person's not on my team. You know, I'm like, this person's not on my team. Long story short, when she came in, she, you know, said, thank you, kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I was like, no problem. Like, I'm here, like, this is, this is what we do. I'm here for the community. And she was like, oh, shut up, girl, hush, hush. Like, like what I was saying was inauthentic. And I was, I was taken aback, like, like, do people not, like, are not, people not doing this anymore? Are we not creating community anymore? Or did that seem like disingenuous? I was struggling to understand, like, why would I get this reaction? So to the point, the, the climate has changed. Um, finding the right fit is not always interest is not always easy. And we have made a decision to shift our model. So mm. now we are no longer an employer. We don't employ. We will contract with individuals mm. who want to learn how to be in private practice and they want to do it in a supportive environment. And so we see ourselves now as an incubator for mm. new practice owners. I love that incubator. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think, um, you know, I'm, you're, you're explaining sort of the African-American distrust within that population, but I, and I will, I will add that on. I think in, at least in the past decade, although our entire uh, history of our country is built on this, but particularly in the past decade, we have seen purposeful misleading and mistrust within every every population is now sort of mistrusting of another population and even within their own sort of ranks, so to speak. And I know that's not a new thing. It's just a heightened, again, I see it as very much of a trauma response to this sort of visceral, um, I don't know who to trust. We all got to do this together, but I am not comfortable doing it I don't know what way I'm comfortable doing it, but I don't want to do it with you. Like I, I, we just, we're just a little bit confused right now and a little bit off our, our sort of balance, but coming back to the compassion fatigue. So, um, you know, African-American, we've talked about offline. We, you and I have talked a little bit about neurodivergence and our ACEs history. And so I'm wondering if we can sort of talk about that in the lens of how that's impacted our presentation of ourselves and maybe even how we uh, practice our field in terms of how we manage compassion fatigue, given all of those sort of, I call them clouds, um, that are clouding our compass, like all of those different sort of identities, you know, neurodivergent, um, you know, a, a childhood development trauma, um, African-American in a state that's largely something other than that, I won't even know if I call it conservative. I mean, the laws that are coming out of that state, just but I do not want to get off on that tangent. I would like to stay on the lane of compassion fatigue as it relates to our experience. <laughs> yeah, so interestingly enough, I actually love it here, um, contrary, contrary to what's transpired, but... Um, and and I can 
and I can answer you. My explanation for that is um, connected to my response to being neurodivergent, mm -hmm. having childhood trauma. Um, I am a woman of faith. I am a woman of faith and it's my it's through my faith that I see all things. Very well said. So I recognize a variety of the things that we talk about, right? I'm a woman. I am a mother. I'm African American. I'm neurodivergent. I have childhood trauma. I recognize all of those things mm -hmm. as things that have shaped how I show up in the world mm -hmm. but not as who I am okay. so um, am I ignorant of the impacts of the different not at all uh, not at all I am very much aware and in and impacted and uh, attentive when a law passes yeah. that is centered around how I can or cannot make decisions about my body. Yeah. Right? I'm 100% aware about whether or not my children will have supportive educational experiences if they go to a Florida state yes. funded school. But I operate from spiritual principles that elevate me above those things. I realize that not everyone can. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it's important for me to be in tune with what those things mean, not only to me, but what they can mean to others. And as a result, I... Um, I'm very intentional about um, prioritizing my self-awareness and um, my wellness as a whole. Uh, some of the more challenging experiences I've had have been in my faith community, right? And so uh. some people that could completely shatter their faith. But yes. I also recognize that some of those challenging experiences were influenced by the childhood trauma and how I showed up. Absolutely. Right? So I think, you know, for, for me, the, the way that I see the world, the way that I make sense of the world, the way that I respond to the world, the way that I um, accept suffering is all fueled and filtered through my faith lens. I see it as a gift. Um, and I recognize that for folks who don't have that, mm -hmm. life can oftentimes be much more challenging to navigate. And hence I do the work that I do. You know, I, thank you for talking about that. I absolutely find that spirituality is a buffer against the world. and. The term comes to mind and I don't go to church, so I apologize, but the, the, like walking in the world, but not being of the world. What's that quote? Yes. Um, that we are in the world and not of the world. Yes. And since I have found my own spirituality, I 
it's just so evident. I, um, first of all, to your point about the mistrust within the African-American community, um, my colleague up here, Valerie Keller Bonner, created a documentary about the African-American church, A Sick Church Can't Heal a Dying World. But it's it's talking about sort of the, the 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 pain that comes from being betrayed by your own sort of religious spirituality, mm-hmm. and I will say that some of the the white folks that I know are experiencing that as well with their own religious trauma. But mm-hmm. regardless, um, you know, it in the era that I was brought up, I'm not sure about you, but um, I went to an evangelical church that spoke in tongues, and we were taught to not trust ourselves. And that, it's such a disservice to bring an entire population together. She's shaking her head yes. and, and seeing, and just to, to be told to trust a pastor or be told to trust this particular type of religion, when, in, when we could talk all day about how those are all connected. But so when we bring in that full picture of spirituality, I have come to talk about it in terms of like, I feel like our life experience is up at the window. Like we're, we're our eyes to the window and we like, we can't see all of the things in the window because we're so close. Like we're so in life. Yeah. And I constantly am reminding my clients, like, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's look at this from a larger lens. Let's look at this from, yes, the I, I'm such a fan of both and. Both I am in this world living every day and I am not only this world. No. It, and because of that, the elevation that you were talking about, that is a buffer to my compassion fatigue. Like, yes, I can get so, my neurodivergence can get me so hyper-focused and so yep. um, just just uh, distressed about yep. certain things in the world. And I did... I will share my own personal, I uh, developed substance use disorder in my thirties. Now that I'm through that and have done my own recovery work in my own way, I did, I mean, I developed my businesses and all of that stuff. But the point is that I was using my substances when I would come home from work every day because I was overstimulated and focusing so intently on my clients and doing the job and working on outcomes that I would lose and neglect myself, which is exactly what I was taught to do. And that is, I think, where this, again, this intersection that we come up with, we have all these identities, we have all these worldly obligations, we have all these worldly sort of traumas, and yeah, they're real, they're real. But what I see in the hope of compassion fatigue and spirituality, that like we we have assets on my, the adaptability from the child development, you know, the, the high ACEs score, you do not listen. If I want the world to survive, I will go to the people who have survived it to teach me how, instead of somebody who thinks they know, and they haven't experienced it. She's shaking her head. Okay. I lost that now. <laughs> no, no, you, that's so good. You, you're right. Um, uh, they're, you know, I was thinking about this whole, um, the idea about r- religion, and now there's a, a a new niche, if you will, of folks addressing religious trauma. Um, and I got mixed feelings about that. I really do. Um, I, I think, I, I think that there's value. Um, I think we confuse we confuse religious people mm-hmm. and their 
practices that have been influenced by ignorance and or um, fragile egos mm-hmm. uh, and both worldly maybe, characteristics. Yeah, you know, um, and and who have done a disservice mm-hmm. to the religion they represent because it's not just one religion yeah absolutely anyone and find people who have distorted or mishandled Mm -hmm. the people who have found solace in that in that religious religion and so i think that that's the issue i was our most recent intern was sharing how she left a place and she eventually concluded that the place she was at was a cult. Mm. Um, and I think that word is going around really loosely as well. But um, and but she recognized that what she really was experiencing was people hurt and not mm. church hurt because we use that term as well. Not what and hurt? I, church hurt. Church hurt. Okay, thank you. Or not church hurt. Okay. And, and, and I loved how she, and she's younger. So, you know, they, the younger people, they have new language for things. They do. <laughs> I love how she said that what she characterized as church hurt was disrupting the relationship with the with God. Mm-hmm. And people hurt disrupting the relationship with the people who represented the okay. organization she was in I think that's a great level of clarity that mm-hmm. has been missing in older conversations around church hurt slash religious trauma um and so I can say I've been in a number of um organizations where the there have been individuals who did not represent mm-hmm the faith in a way that was consistent with how I understood that faith to mean and what it what it, it meant to live according to that faith. Um, and and not just my faith, right? Like I serve people of other religious backgrounds mm-hmm. and I have seen similar things. You know, domestic violence is not isolated to the Catholic Church or Christians, like it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's all over, right? So it's not. It's I think the challenge has been because people come to certain faith organizations with an expectation that the people who are there before them are going to uh, operate at a higher level. They're going to model. They're going to demonstrate. Right. They're going to create a sense of safety. It's a false it's a false it's an in, it's a misinformed expectation that i find myself having more conversations about but that is not isolated to to that is not isolated to religion and i know I you're thinking by this that is also any entity that you go into where people have been there they've wooed you in and mm-hmm. they there and they're tenured you expect that it's going to be we welcome people to get them in and then we don't right. know how to keep them there. And that is true as 
organizations. We hire people in the first 90 days, everything is great sunshine. And we don't know how to keep doing that. It's true. At mm -hmm. schools, I remember going to my college and thinking like, oh, wow, this is great. And then later on having encounters like, what is going on? Right. That is true in the industry. You you know, you 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 get a supervisor or you start your practice and then God forbid you have to like deal with the board after you have your license. So I, I think that this term that my intern mentioned, people hurt, is actually a much better characterization. And and what I think it represents is really authority hurt. That people that. have authority yeah. in certain industry, niche, topic, category, discipline, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they misuse it mm -hmm. and thereby misrepresent that industry as a whole. And then people reject that industry, including the presidency. Exactly. And like, I think, okay, so with the capitalism and the authority, like I can see how we've been trained to sort of look at that. But to I'll speak personally about what you just said. I came into this field with the, with, with an, a bias and an expectation that I am a good person. I am a helper and I will do good things and I will be part of a solution. What was so confusing to me in my own uh, situation as a client in a, um, a coerced treatment program that I didn't, long story, it's a physician's health program. Uh, I thought I was doing something good by going to seek help. And what I couldn't understand was as a provider, I was being told to do X, Y, and Z per my ethics and licensure. And this program was interrupting that at every turn and diverting me and detouring me into somebody else's goals. But what was so fascinating, I, I was so confused for a couple of years about like, hey, why this, why is this even happening that you're like teaching me to do something else? But also B. You've asked me to do this job and I'll be specific. This, this was a uh, physician's health program. And I went in because I was struggling with substance use. I was naive to disclose that first of all, legally, but that's neither here nor there. I went in and because of that substance use, I was then criminalized and pathologized in a way that I had never been in the world before. Now I have experienced othering, but I have never experienced othering to the point where you are going to hold my entire life hostage because I'm doing what you told me to do and I'm suffering some consequences from it. I'm telling you about, I'm telling you how hard it is to sort like, I don't know why I go home and want to numb out every night and not a single person could tell me or teach me or talk to me about those things. It was about stopping the substance, which for, for the points of this conversation, what really sort of came down, I had to decide between my life and my career. Was I going to keep my licensure, which I still have by the grace of something higher than myself, but that my licensure was not all of who I am. And that if I was really committed to helping, that I needed to use the voice that I was given with my licensure to speak up about the harms being caused by us. Yes. And, and to sort of bring to the table that we do harm people. We are imperfect as providers. And by the way, if it's not lost on me that every single provider that was so committed to my punishment 
were themselves experiencing compression fatigue. Yes. And so to relate it to the church, like, again, we have this authority, told to trust authority. You're told to trust the social worker you go in to get help from. And mm-hmm. if we don't know ourselves enough to know who we're a good fit for and not, first of all, a simple ACEs study could have cleared up a lot of things because yeah. I'm the one that discovered I was an ace. Right. I told people to pay attention to that. And now I've learned I'm autistic. But when you're walking in a world that says, well, you know, we got to be moral in terms of religion and our licensure, and we've got to be ethical with these things. But there's a wide gap of interpretation on what that means. And my morality, if maybe harming your morality, mm-hmm. and that's where we sort of like the drain on us to work in systems that that lead us into these authority, pla- these places of authority, these places of sort of gatekeeping, these places of I have the answer and you don't. Mm-hmm. Everything I do in my work now is committed to reminding me and the client that I don't have the answers. Yeah. I have a buffet. Yes. You get to choose what is your best answer because yes. you're with me an hour a week. I don't live your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, I... I landed in private practice because I wanted to create a space where people of our of my community could feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. to navigate the challenges that they face in their lives. But I didn't do that to tell them how to do that. Right. I did that to journey alongside of them. You know, before I even started a private practice, before that was even uh, a possibility in my li- in my mind. I lived by the model to help people use what they have mm-hmm. to get what they want. Okay. And um, even today, when my clients will ask me fervently for an, uh, an advice yep. on something really critical, my answer is always the same. My response is, I'm never going to tell you what to do. I'm always going to tell you to make the decision that you will live with for the rest of your life because I will never have to live with your consequences. I won't reap the rewards. I won't have to do the work that you have to do. So that's my role is to, to help you clarify where it is that you want to go, be clear about what it's going to take for you to get there. And along the way, maybe I'm teaching you a skill that I hope maybe I'm showing you a blind spot that you're missing Maybe I'm teaching you to increase your help-seeking behaviors. You know, I'm going to teach you some things along the way, right? If you want them, yeah. Right, the toolbox that you have, I'm willing to help you expand it because a mm-hmm. lot of times the old tools are not working. I never yeah. tell them to discard them because at the end of the day, you never know when you have to pull them back out. Yeah. You know, I'm not ignorant of the survival skills actually working in certain situations thank you absolutely needing to be on reserve yeah and we script christians um we joke about uh peter in the bible who pulled his sword and and he said jesus told him to to put it away not throw it away and so (laughs) you know there could be a time and a place where it would need to come back out and so this this idea of of knowing what's right for other people 
it's just it's 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 I hate to say it this way, but it the way that I see it is again so Eurocentric. Like absolutely. But it but it's also this authoritative this authoritative uh, approach that finds itself in communities that have been um, afflicted with power differentials and insecurities and feeling validated by way of acquiring some level of authority. But going back to the lens that I use to see those things, right? Um, the let, I'll just use Christianity. Okay. Yeah, there are faith leaders who will say, yeah, you know, trust me. But in our faith, that's a misrepresentation of what is said in the text that we use to, to guide our life. In the text that we use to guide our life, we're supposed to respect and, and obey. That doesn't mean trust. You obey the law. You don't trust everybody okay. who made the law, right? So yeah. um, you, 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 I, I remember being really hurt by someone and thinking like, man, my trust is just, I just don't trust the people. And I, I remember looking at my husband who again is a pastor and I was like, like, oh, you know, what is, what, what is, what is God say about that? And, and before I could even finish the conversation, I had the answer. I exactly. Knew God exactly. never man to trust man yeah and i i want to like sort of <laughs> circle this back around to why we're both in this because i thought i was in this to help people i am in this to empower and revolutionize the way that we live in this world and i i am fully convinced that the heart of every singular i am going to oversimplify this but every singular pain point in our lives has is relational it, it comes down to relationship, relationship with self, relationship to higher power, relationship with the law, relationship to the authority, Great. relationship Great. with our, and, and if we don't, and, and that is part of the coming home, that is part of the recovery, that is part of the coming back into your spirituality, is that there is nobody that can define your relationship with your higher power, because your higher power brought you here, and you are part of it, and that is, for you, huh, I said nobody can do it for you. Right. And that is the most liberating and revolutionary thing that I can think to offer my clients on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. This is, this is, you know, this life is complex and I, and I see that people have an opportunity to navigate it on their terms or not. And the yeah. truth of the matter is, the people in my in my experience, the people who do not know, do not learn how to navigate it on their terms, yes. they are ridden. They are ridden with depressive Ugh. symptoms. The I it's the root of depression. That that is they're not not the symptoms. We we can I'm not talking about what the right. DSM says. I'm talking about the root of depression is that the individual is not living their life according to how they believe it should be done. Yes. They're yes. not living authentically. 
And we, and I don't think that we, and, and that's why I'm excited about this decolonizing idea, because I don't think that we have, well, first of all, nobody wants to give us permission, but we also are not primed to take permission to listen to ourselves, to know our own North. And not everybody has the same North, but I'll tell you what, when I see somebody find their own North, the clouds start to disperse. Not that life gets all rosy and sunshine. You're still going to have the same stuff, you know, sort of pain points. Ooh, but the way that we relate to them is different. Yes. No, you're right. Uh, I, giving people permission to re, to reevaluate how they're living is essential to doing mm. this work. Um, getting people to see the options. So what I have found is that folks will say there are no options because they're afraid of the ones that are there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times living life differently, right? According to the way they really envision, the way they really want to live, yep. is full of painful truths. It's full of painful truths. That yeah. someone let you down, you let yourself down, mm. you know, um you got you got you have poor um, distress tolerance. You're impatient. You know, there's a, a lot of these things. You struggle to self-regulate. A lot of these internal truths, yeah. right, that get in the way. As someone who's neurodivergent, I pick up too much. I, I'm, I like to yes. be I like a new project, but I need to finish it. Like 2024, I'm like, I'm finishing some stuff this year. I'm sick of this. I and hear you. In, in order to you know keep things going i'm gonna grab a snack i probably shouldn't have and that snack's probably gonna be full of sugar because it's gonna help me get through to the next like that is the truth that is the truth and in order to live the way i really want to live i gotta have some discipline i gotta find another way to self-regulate i gotta find another way to put some stuff in the parking lot and finish something right but that takes a level of courage to tell yeah. yourself the truth and to look around your surroundings and really think about like who is who around me is helping me be good who's helping me make good choices who is more comfortable when i'm making right. bad choices do i even have people around me do i need to rebuild my tribe do i you know all of those things go along with this idea of giving yourself permission to envision that you can live differently, but recognizing that in order to do so may be some really, really uncomfortable truths. And you got to decide, are you willing to lean into that or are you not willing to lean into that? I 100% agree. And to wrap it back into compassion fatigue, I think the hard truths that we as sort of providers, everybody in the society, but particular providers, we really have to get honest with our capabilities, our level of, of ability during the day. Like again, two neurodivergent folks speaking here, creating my own business was absolutely game-changing in terms of me setting my boundaries, me learning how to speak up and advocate for myself, but also being very honest that today I don't have it in me to see six clients, Tomorrow I might see eight, but I need to know my own limit or I will hurt myself and others. Yep. Yep. And so yep. I yep. am so 
um, so uh, tuned up and excited about the conversation that we just had. It's so nice to sit and talk with colleagues um, that we don't get a chance to talk to every day. But I think for the it, listeners that aren't therapists, like just really, this is this is the human suffering. Like how how do we sort of buffer compassion fatigue of human suffering? And we've talked about so many tools. Yes. Um, and I just thank you for being on. I will end it with you um, ending this however you'd like to, any kind of plug that you'd like, but I really appreciate your time. Wow, this was a great conversation and I, I appreciate being uh, given the opportunity to chat with you and um, share with your platform. Uh, I think the conversation is essential and it's really yeah. just the beginning. And so I encourage all of your listeners to listen for something that they can use uh, as a takeaway to mm -hmm. continue the conversation. They owe it to themselves. They owe it to you. And they owe it to those who are coming after. Again, oh. I, I think that it's important to, for everyone to be clear about what their personal assignment is in this, in this world. And I also believe that individuals draw like-minded people to them. So if they are listening, if you are listening, then chances are your purpose is very closely connected I love to it. themes of this podcast. And so uh, I, I, I am absolutely honored to be able to be a contributor. Uh, I don't believe that I've gone through what I've gone through for myself. And I mm -hmm. hope that something that was shared today uh, will be helpful for, for you all who are listening. Awesome. For having me. You're welcome. Two, two resources that you have. You wrote a book about um, breast cancer, surviving breast cancer. Yes. What's the name of that book? The book is called Fight with Faith. Okay. Uh, and it is a combination of my story uh, the experiences that I had, which were full of uh, challenges, mm. um, um, but how I navigated that. And because I am an overachiever, it is inclusive of resources for individuals who may be going through oh, or maybe supporting someone going through. Oh, that's helpful. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. In that process, I realized that a lot of people just don't know how to show up and uh -huh. some people will not show up. Um, and yeah. so this not just for someone who is experiencing cancer. This book is also for people who have been exposed to or, or aligned with someone who has experienced a significant health condition. And that's going to be on your website. And I saw you had a link tree that I'm going to link to. Um, and so I will put that on there. And then you have a podcast coming out soon. Do you want to talk about that now or do you want me to just kind of like refer them to your link tree? Yeah, stay tuned. We're still okay. in the data, data collection phase and um, or coordinating phase. But yes, uh, podcast coming soon. Uh, doctor's notes, redeeming the cost of compassion. So thank you so much for sharing. Ooh, awesome. Okay, cool. I can't wait to hear from you again. We will be in touch and I will yeah. refer to your link tree. And thank goodness there's um, providers in Florida, but Tampa Bay, particularly uh, that are sort of like-minded and um, throwing whatever support they can throw at the people enduring the situation in that state. 
it's not all bad. It does have some good qualities. The state of Florida, I'm not gonna lie, but um, thank you for your work too. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, stay tuned everybody for the next episode and Dr. Simmons link tree will be in the notes. Thank you. Welcome to Cloud of Compass Podcast. This is Lori Smith, your host. You want to know more about me? Do you want to work with me? Do you like what I have to say? Um, do you want to write me hate mail? Check me out on social media. I'm at Cloud of Compass 2021 on TikTok and Cloud of Compass 2021 on Instagram. I started this podcast because I wanted to share my knowledge, skills, and experience as an LMSW of 20 years. I am a survivor of help that harmed. I have had mental health issues. My ACEs score is high. I've had a history of trauma, but I also have some professional skills, knowledge, and experience that you might benefit from. I have been a certified diabetes educator for 10 years. I have worked in um, doctor's offices as a care manager with chronic health issues. I am certified. Um, I'm a certified anxiety treatment provider, certified um, trauma provider, certified in compassion fatigue, addiction informed mental health, and most recently a human rights consultant. I am the author of the book Life Hacks with Life Hacks: Tips and Tricks for Accessing Your Inner Resilience. I am the owner of Resilience Coach, which is an outpatient behavioral health therapy. And most recently, I am the owner of Cloud of Compass Coaching Consulting. Um, which is part of this podcast. I have courses in um, recovery-oriented material, uh, neurodivergent um, information coming in. So I have courses, I have webinars, I have um, guests on my podcast, I have merchandise coming out soon. I have a link tree on my social media where you can access all of these things. I'd love for you to learn more about me. Love to you to for you to see if we are a good fit for working together. And in the month of December, I am hosting a half off special of my of my signature course um, because I want to share this information with the world. It is a six week course with 12 sessions, um, 12 videos of me. Um, again, I'm a little neurodivergent, so it's a little, um, it's not what you're gonna expect from a course on transformation, but it is useful information. It is what I have found practical in my practice. It has the 12 video sessions, but it also has 200 page workbook of tools for self-regulation. And we teach how to uncover your own innate skill set. This is why I called my company Clouded Compass, because there are things that we have not been pointed towards. And once we align with our internal assets, our life becomes um, a little bit, uh, uh, um, we become empowered, period. So check me out. Check me out on all my social media. Please leave comments. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear you, um, see you join my course. And please leave comments about the podcast too. I'd love to know what your favorite um, podcasts are, which ones you think really suck. And let's build community together. Let's educate, empower, and evolve. And let's uncover your own innate assets. Stay tuned.